Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Black women are 41% more likely than white women to die of breast cancer, and the disease is now the leading cause of cancer death among black women, surpassing lung cancer. Black women are also more likely to be diagnosed at an earlier age and have three times the risk of developing triple negative breast cancer. Today, my guest is Ricky Fairley, co-founder and CEO of an organization called TOUCH, the Black Breast Cancer Alliance. She is also a triple negative breast cancer survivor. Ricky will talk about risk factors and common signs of breast cancer among black women and types of cancer that most often affect them. She'll also explain contributing factors that increase the likelihood of breast cancer and what black women need to know about diagnosis and treatment. And finally, she'll discuss the activities and programs of her organization and how it's supporting the women out there and helping them to eradicate black breast cancer. So welcome, Ricky, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here with you. So thank you for talking about my purpose. We want to get started with having you help us understand how common breast cancer is among older Black women. Since this is aging matters, we're particularly interested in that. And I'm I'm wondering if over the lifetime of Black women, is the evidence likely to increase as they age? Well, you know, age is one of the major risk factors of breast cancer. As you age, you're more likely to get it despite your race, right? But um, the median age for breast cancer for black women is 60 compared to 64 with white women. We're more likely to get it at a younger age than an older age. So I think we don't have a lot of data specifically about how how it, it increases as you age, but the median age for black women is younger than white women. So you've talked about one of the risk factors. You mentioned about age, but in the Black community, why are women more at risk for uh, for breast cancer? So, you know, actually Black women have less incidence, a, lo- a lower incidence of breast cancer than white women, okay? And, um, um, but we we tend to get it at a younger age, but we tend to have things like denser breasts. We have dense breasts and p- women with dense breasts are four to six times more likely to get breast cancer. Um, we may not be talking about it and be aware of the symptoms. We may not be screening earlier, but the incidence is really less for black women. It's the mortality rate that's significantly higher for black women. So we're less likely to get it, but we're more likely to die. 
Okay. Well, and that's really important. In fact, you you hit that second question I was asking about the mortality rate. So it is, in fact, higher for black women than other races? I mean, you've been mentioning white women. I was just wondering how that might compare with, say, Hispanic women or Asian women. Can Do you have any information about that? Yeah, we, we black women have the highest mortality rate by far. And um, we have, and you mentioned it earlier, we have a 41% higher mortality rate. The other factor that's really plays a role here is we have a 39% higher recurrence rate of breast cancer. So it's significantly higher than white women and Hispanic women that we get it back again and, and we get it more severely. We actually wrote a definition of black breast cancer a couple of years ago because I wanted to say, I really think it's a different disease state. And I'll read that to you. Black breast cancer is the constellation of exposures, experiences, and lack of science for black women diagnosed with breast cancer that causes black women to face disproportionately worse breast cancer outcomes. So clearly we have different exposures. The the social determinants of health play a role here, but really it's a lack of science. We don't understand our breast cancer. We don't know a lot about it because we just don't have the data to support it. And we now have a growing body of research that's validating that a black breast cancer cell looks different from a white breast cancer cell. And there could be some different genetic implications. That's all being explored right now, but, but we need more science to understand why it is different and why black women are dying at these crazy numbers and getting it earlier. Good point. And to that end, then, I would like to get into the different kinds of cancer uh, so that black women and all listeners uh, really understand what the situation is. So let's let's start by having you explain what is stage zero breast cancer? What, what exactly does that mean? So, you know, there are basically kind of five stages of cancer if you count stage zero. And stage zero is really um, cancers that are limited to inside the milk duct and they're not invasive. So they haven't, in, haven't gone outside of the milk duct. So it's really... Oftentimes, it's not even considered cancer because it's like a pre-stage of cancer, but but it's really kind of just the presence of, of abnormal cells within the milk duct. So it hasn't gone outside of the milk duct. So it's actually the best cancer to have if you're going to have one, And but, but it can be a little difficult to treat. Most women treat it with um, a lumpectomy and get some, to get the, like, get the area taken out. But they have to really take a, take a good look at the margin so that they make sure they get all of the cancer. And oftentimes, you'll have to have several surgeries to get those clear margins. So it's still a little scary, even though it's very early stage. It's a little bit hard to treat sometimes because you want to make sure that you get all the cancer out so it doesn't grow later. And I was just wondering, uh, Ricky, are Black women more often... Uh, diagnosed with this type of cancer? This sounds like if they're catching it at an early stage. Are there certain common signs that if they are can be aware of these common signs, they can catch it, get it treated, and not deal with the you know ongoing symptoms of breast cancer? How does this compare to others? Well, really, there aren't really any specific signs for stage zero. It's really identified on a mammogram. So if you're not getting a mammogram, and and black women do get mammograms, so those numbers are pretty good, but you really have to catch it early and and it's caught on a mammogram. You're not going to necessarily feel a lump because at that point, it's pretty microscopic. 
So you really don't have a symptom. You just sort of have to get, be getting your regular mammograms to find it, to identify it. Okay. And I'm glad you said that early in this interview. We'll mention that again in terms of the importance of mammograms for diagnostic uh, purposes. So I wanted to also ask you, because I had mentioned this in the introduction and the fact that you are a triple negative breast cancer survivor, explain to us what is triple negative breast cancer and why are black women more likely to be diagnosed with this form of breast cancer? I'm going to go back and answer the other question, add more fact to the first answer, the other answer if, for a second, and then I'll come back to triple negative. Um, I did find some data that um, that they uh, a study found that the the mortality rate twenty years following the initial diagnosis of a stage zero breast cancer was three point three percent for white women, but the mortality rate for was seven point eight for black women. So even though stage zero is less invasive, black women die more readily of it. So triple negative breast cancer is a complicated breast cancer. So basically, there are, there are three things that sort of are receptors that where, where a cancer cell can kind of connect and receive treatment. The first one is estrogen. The second one is progesterone, two hormones. And the third one is a, a, a protein called HER2. If you don't have any of those receptors, it's called triple negative. Black women get it at three times the rate of white women, and we really don't know why. And so it's the hardest to treat. So most of the treatments that we have were made for the receptors that exist. So when you don't have the receptors, we really only have two treatments now for triple negative that are targeted for specifically for triple negative and only one for early stage, two for metastatic. And so we don't have the, the therapies we need to treat triple negative breast cancer. Black women are getting it three at three times the rate. And it's often associated with the BRCA gene, the breast cancer gene, but we really don't know for sure how that affects black women. I don't have the gene and I had triple negative breast cancer, but it's the most aggressive, the highest mortality rate, and it's the only breast cancer subtype that doesn't have a drug to prevent recurrence. So you may have heard of something like tamoxifen or something that you take for five years to prevent recurrence. We don't have a drug. And it comes back very readily and very aggressively and kills us. It's definitely having a, a huge impact on young black women. We, they tend to get it more readily, young black women. But it's it's a nasty, nasty disease. It's basically characterized by what it lacks in these receptors. We're glad that you are a triple negative uh, breast cancer survivor. We are we are very grateful that we are talking with you to share this information. We thank you about for that, Ricky. Yeah, you know, I I had stage 3A in my initial diagnosis, and I did standard of care chemo. I did a double mastectomy. I did a lot of radiation, and I was given sort of a, a clean bill of health after about 10 months. And then I went for an annual checkup, to, and I had a PET scan, and um, my doctor found five spots on my chest wall because it had come back so quickly and within a year. And um she said, okay, Ricky, you're now metastatic. You have two years to live, get your affairs in order. And I said, well, I, I can't really die right now. I have a daughter at Dartmouth. I have to pay for her education. So me, you, and God, and something, we got to work this out. And I actually went and advocated for myself because I learned that my doctor, my oncologist, had only had two cases of triple negative in black women, and they both died after nine months. And she really didn't know what to do. And so we, um, I went on the, the, onto Dr. Google, 
and um, searched around. And on the third page of Dr. Google, after you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die, I found the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And I called them and they found me probably one of about five specialists at the time who were actually researching Triple Negative. And she put me on some experimental drugs and I'm still alive 11 years later. So I'm very blessed to be here. And I know God left me here to do this advocacy work. Congratulations doesn't seem quite the right word, but I am <laughs> I am very touched by your story. So and I'm and I'm pleased to to hear it. So with that in mind, then let's talk about one other breast cancer type that often affects black women. It's called inflammatory breast cancer. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. What 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 is it? What are the most common symptoms and why is that yet another type of of breast cancer that black women are more likely to be diagnosed with? And again, you know, we don't have enough science for black women, but inflammatory breast cancer, it's another nasty one, accounts for about one to 5% of all breast cancers, but black women are 70% more likely to get it. And the symptoms are different. It, It doesn't necessarily present as a lump. It presents as kind of a dimpling of the skin. It's almost, it's something called like pota orange. You have an orange, uh, orange peel is kind of lumpy. It kind of looks like that, but it also, your skin turns red. Well, guess what? Black woman's skin doesn't really turn red. So it sort of appears as this dimpling thing. So you don't really understand the symptoms, right? And you may not, you know, if you don't really know what it, what the symptoms are, you're just going to think your skin is a little dimply. So we have to be really, really careful in knowing our breasts and knowing what stuff looks like and feels like, because if it does appear as a dimpling, it could be, it could be um, inflammatory breast cancer. And, and unlike, like, like triple negative, again, we don't have any targeted therapies for triple, for infl- inflammatory breast cancer. But it also tends to show up in women at a younger age, but, and it spreads very, very quickly. Like you could have this dimpling, in a day and it's in a little, in a little area and in two weeks, it's all over your boobs. So, and it's also diagnosed really at stage three or four at a very late stage. It's very aggressive and pretty nasty. We hope that our listeners are taking this in, in terms of, of watching for these kinds of symptoms, in terms of, of physical, what to watch for. I also wanted to get into some of the other factors that might contribute to the higher rate of breast cancer amongst black women. And certainly as I was in the process of preparing these these questions, oftentimes it looks like the lack of health insurance might be a contributory factor. Is that true? What, what are you seeing? Well, the data shows that um, nearly 14% of black women are uninsured compared to 8% of white women. So there is less insurance, but I think it's even more um, underinsured. So what I find when I talk to patients is they may have insurance, but guess what? It doesn't cover the diagnostic MRI. Or you can go get a free mammogram and they, can, they say, okay, your mammogram is a little funky. Can you come back tomorrow for the MRI or the sonogram? And it's not covered by insurance. And, and it costs $2,000. So they don't go back because they can't afford it. Right. So so it's really not even looking at the numbers that are insured, which is still less. But what kind of insurance do you have? Right. So it's really knowing it's like the depth of insurance that's really necessary because you may have, you know, kind of that sort of superficial level of insurance. But you may have a six thousand dollar deductible or or an insurance policy that doesn't really cover the the stuff that you need to cover. And. 
unless one is a, a woman would be over 65, because then my assumption would be that it, there would be coverage with Medicare. But if she's not 65, then that's where the problem lies. Exactly, exactly. So um, Medicare should cover the diagnostic needs that she has. Um, but also, if you don't really understand it, and you don't know what to ask for, it could be a problem for you because you're not getting educated, you're not educated about what you have. Right. Another factor I'm wondering about is the lack of transportation. Now, we live in urban areas, so there's more likely to be the metro or Uber or whatever. But since we don't know exactly where this program may go, it may go to rural areas. I'm wondering if you found that transportation to go to a, a healthcare provider to travel, is that a big issue for Black women as well in terms of getting diagnosed in a timely fashion? Well, you know, 80% of, of people, of patients, go to a community hospital. So it's probably someplace in their neighborhood. And so, but guess what? Community hospitals may not have the best care. We know that they don't have the most advanced science as like a as like a NIH or or Johns Hopkins or Georgetown. Right. So so it's really once you get sick, you may want to go to a better hospital that has better care for you. And that's where transportation could be a problem. I know, um, you know, one of our co-founder actually lives in um, she's at Duke in North Carolina and people drive three and four hours in North Carolina to get to Duke or to get to a UNC. And people here drive hours to get to Johns Hopkins. And we have a breastie who lives in Richmond. She drives to Johns Hopkins every month for her treatment. So it becomes a problem once you need treatment and you may need a specific treatment. You know, some hospitals provide clinical trials and, and better treatments than others. So for everyday treatment, just to get your mammogram, you're probably going to someplace close to your home. But once you're identified as sick, you could be, you know, transportation could be a problem. Now, the American Cancer Society is really good about providing treatment. And especially if you're in a clinical trial at a major, at a major education hospital, they should provide your transportation. But again, you may have to ask for it. And if you don't know to ask for it, you may not ask for it and you may not get it. And it may be possible, especially for older women, that they don't drive anymore. They need somebody to, to drive right. them to a particular right. appointment. And, and uh, if they can't get there, that's a problem as well. They do. Or, or they may be dependent on one of their children to drive them. That could be a single mom with three kids. Or she could be caring for her kids and her mom, and she can't miss a day of work. Right. And it pre prevents her mom from going. So, right. yeah, I mean, I know my mom, you know, thank God we are blessed to have a caregiver. But if I had to drive my mom, she's 89, to all of her appointments, I wouldn't be able to work. <laughs> right. Right. So I hear so you. So it, it's often a problem. Yeah. I wanted to have you get into the role of genetics uh, in connection with the higher rate of breast cancer among black women. You were talking about uh, genetics in connection with your personal diagnosis of triple negative breast cancer and the gene. But talk about that in a, a larger framework, because genetics sometimes seems to be this topic that a lot of folks don't know a lot about. So help us uh, better understand what that, what that might mean in connection with a, a breast cancer diagnosis. Sure. Um, you know, it's really, I want to start with first how what's different for, for a lot of Black families is that we don't talk about health. We don't talk about health 
at the kitchen table. And we often don't know our her story. So before you even get into genetics, we don't even necessarily know who in our family had cancer or could have had cancer because we don't talk about it until Uncle Pookie gets his leg amputated or Grandma Edith is all of a sudden in hospice. Well, how'd that happen? And so it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a conversation that we need to have in our families to know our her story. You need to know your her story. So even before you get genetic testing, you need to know, did your mom have breast cancer? Did, what did your grandma die of? Who in your, in your family had cancer, right? And have those conversations that we are not having in our, in black households until somebody's really deathly ill. So that's, that's first problem. But there are two breast cancer genes, right? The, um, BRCA1 and 2. And, and we don't seem to have a, a lot of knowledge again about, about black women, right? But we know that, that they do play a role in, in breast cancer and, and, um, they do play a role often in triple negative breast cancer. So, um, the gene though is only about, it's only about 5% of breast cancers are genetic. So when people say, you know, I'm okay because my mom didn't have it, that's not necessarily the case because it could, it, may, it probably isn't genetic. But when there, when it is genetic, it's a problem and it, and it really can dictate the treatment that you get. You could get a different, you know, have a different treatment based on your genetic makeup. So if you have a family history, it's really important for you to get genetic testing. And many black women do not get genetic testing. But if you get breast cancer under the age of 40, you need to have genetic testing to understand what that implication could be for your type of breast cancer. So it's really something that, that, um, um, for also, for example, there's, there's some research being done right now in West Africa on triple negative breast cancer. And they've, the scientists have identified, Will Cornell have identified another gene that, that's called the Duffy gene. And that gene, guess what, is not on the genetic panel that people are tested for because it's, it just was identified. But we're thinking that that gene could be leading to triple negative breast cancer in black women. So even though we're, even when we get genetic testing, it may not be the right panel for black women because the genetic testing was really made at, from, from white bodies and science of white women. And I'm glad you brought that up, Ricky, because I think, again, genetic testing, sometimes this whole body of knowledge is, makes your eyes glaze over. Can you talk a little bit more about genetic testing? If, as listeners are hearing what you have to say here, who would they call? Where? What? What? What would be the resources? And and maybe you could also give us a little bit more information about a genetic counselor. Well, you could start with your general practitioner and ask about it. Like on an annual checkup, you can ask about it. Um, but it's kind of your. It's it's a little bit hard to get genetic testing unless you have a family history to get your insurance to pay for it. But it, but it's worth pursuing if you have a family history. So you, if you know you have, you know, bloodline relatives that had some kind of cancer and any kind of cancer, not just breast cancer, but prostate, colon, all, any kind of cancer really should count in your, in your diagnosis. But you should be able to get your general practitioner to help you get genetic, you know, genetic testing and genetic counseling. If you've had cancer, then I would go to your oncologist or your surgeon and ask for a genetic testing. But normally when you get genetic testing, they recommend you, rec also recommend a genetic counselor to help you interpret the data. 
but they're not that hard to find. And the testing is like, is very easy. You spit in a cup. It's like no big deal. The test, it's not invasive or anything. It's, it's really easy. Um, it can be a little expensive, but if you have a family history and your insurance doesn't cover it, it's worth the money to get it, to check it out, to see what the impact could be on you. Now, I would say if you're going to get, if you have a genetic disorder or, or just, um, genetic issue, it, it more, it more readily affects younger women. But still, if you want to know, but you want to know for your daughters or for your family members, you want to protect them. So I think if you, if you have a family history, you should try to get genetic testing. It's pretty easy and it's worth whatever the cost is or the, the, not the cost necessarily, but the fighting with your insurance company to get it covered. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's very, very good advice. And to that point, we are going to uh, stop for a moment, take a short break here. In case you tuned in late, we're speaking with Ricky Fairley, who is the co-founder and the CEO of an organization called Touch, the Black Breast Cancer Alliance. And I also wanted to add that she is a triple negative breast cancer survivor, so has been giving us lots of good information about black breast cancer, and we'll do so more in the second half. But Wanted our listeners to know that right now you're listening to WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We are talking with Ricky Fairley, and as I mentioned in the first half, she's the co-founder and CEO of Touch, the Black Breast Cancer Alliance. She has given us so much information about black breast cancer and what we need to know. And before the break, we talked about contributing factors that may impact the high rate of breast cancer amongst black women. And Ricky, before we get into diagnosis and treatment, I was wondering if the whole area of access to care might also contribute to higher breast cancer rates amongst black women. Sure, I think quality of care is really the issue here, you know, and and um and again, you know, the incidence rate is less for black women, but the mortality rate is higher. So what is that saying? What is that saying about our ecosystem, our medical e- ecosystem that somebody's doing something wrong? So if we have less incidence and higher mortality, we're not getting the level of care that we should and the quality of care that we should from doctors. Like why, you know, why is there such a difference in the mortality rate? And so is that because we're getting substandard care or doctors aren't spending the right amount of time with us or educating us to know what the options are? And, and, you know, we live in this world of health inequity, Cheryl, and, and we really don't have health equity. And I don't believe that we're going to have health equity until every healthcare professional practices the golden rule. What your mother taught you when you were two years old. Treat others as you want to be treated. And so when patients come to me and say, okay, the doctor recommended this treatment plan, chemo, whatever, whatever, I'll say, well, go back and ask them, is that the care that they would give their mom, their auntie, their grandma, their daughter? 
Is that the care they would expect for themselves? Because if it's not good enough for them, it's not good enough for you. And challenge, we, you know, we have to challenge the, the, the medical system to say, wait a minute, are you giving me the best care, the level of care I deserve? And we, and I think we're going to talk about this later, but we know that doctors are not offering black women clinical trials. We know that we're not always getting the, the newest data or the newest drugs. I had an incident a couple of months ago with a, with a young patient, 37 with triple negative, three babies under seven. And she wasn't offered the one drug that we have for triple negative for early stage. They didn't offer it to her. And so why, why is that? So I know that there's a lot of, you know, racial bias and implicit bias. And, and I don't want to even say that people are racist, but just, just privilege makes doctors act differently with black women. And it's just not fair. We're not getting the best treatment. So access to care, it's access to quality care is really what the issue is. And we need to reduce that medical bias uh, against black women when it comes to diagnosing breast cancer or other cancers for that. Everything, anything, 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 anything. It's, you know, and, and also, again, we don't, you know, we need the best drugs. And if you're not on top of what those best drugs for cancer, you're not going to get them and you're, you're going to die as a black woman, unfortunately. Yes. So let's, let's kind of move in, into the direction of helping black women reduce their risk of developing breast cancer or, or the breast cancer recurrence. And uh, you've talked a little bit about drugs and that, but give us more information in terms of what might be helpful in terms of accomplishing that goal. Sure. Well, you know, Shell, you can't prevent breast cancer. It's not like colon cancer. You can get a colonoscopy and prevent it, cut the polyps out. You can't prevent breast cancer, but you can early detect it. All we really have is early detection. And what does that mean? That means knowing your body. That means doing self-exams. That means knowing your her story, talking to your family members about what your history is. That means standing in front of the mirror and looking at your breasts and touching your breasts and knowing them. And that means getting screenings when you should every year after 40. But frankly, you know, after 40 is great, but black women are getting breast cancer way younger. So 40 is too late for young women. Young women get breast cancer. Black women under 30 get breast cancer at four times the rate of white women, which is crazy. So if you are over 40, which I think a lot of your audience is, talk to your daughters, make sure they know to get their mammogram. So, you know, use, use your, your privilege of age to just talk to your families about it. And make sure you're having conversations about it and make sure you understand who died of what in your family and understand what your risks are. Because just talking about it and making it a conversation at the kitchen table is going to help so many people, you know, remember to get screened and 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 just understand what their risks are because you can't prevent it. But you can talk about it and you can screen and you can detect it early. I also was going to ask you, Ricky, if uh, factors in terms of lifestyle might be the possibility as well, whether it's diet or smoking or alcohol or exercise or lack thereof. Has there been research done that you're aware of that may have um, some impact? It certainly, those factors certainly affect other types of conditions, as I'm sure you well know. But I was just wondering if there are certain social factors that may have an effect. They're definitely a factor. Obesity, 
lack of exercise, smoking definitely, and alcohol, all of those things play a role in breast cancer like any other cancer. I mean, you want to be healthy. You want to eat healthy. You want to take care of your body. It's the only one you have to live in. So, you know, I think overall we should all be doing those things and we're not. We're not. And a lot of it is, you know, we may live in a food desert. We may not have the access to the best vegetables. Um, we may be a working mom with three kids and don't have time to exercise. Um, we may be, you know, or a, a grandma that has to take care of her grandkids and her aging parents still. And we not, may not have time for exercise, but really just taking care of your body. I mean, you know, we know you shouldn't eat fried chicken and mashed potatoes and mac and cheese every week, you know, even though we want to. So it's the, you know, everybody knows what they should and should not eat. We just don't think about it in the moment when we're rushing around trying to live our lives and do things and take care of the people that we take care of. And, you know, women, especially black women, we all wear the purple cape and the gold crown and take care of everybody at our own expense. And we're always the last person on the list. So don't let that happen. You know, take care of yourself. And and that will prevent many diseases besides breast cancer too, you know. And then you mentioned the mammogram already. And Noting the types of black breast cancer that we talked about in the first part of the interview, is the mammogram the most reliable diagnostic screening uh, test for black breast cancer of all, all of these types? It sounds like some more than others. And are there other diagnostic tests and procedures that black women could get? So you have to d distinguish between screening and diagnostic. So screening mammograms basically are the ones that you should get routinely. And it really is the best screening device that we have right now. There's a lot of new stuff being tested. There's a bunch of stuff and being tested. But right now, mammography is the best screening vehicle for breast cancer. Okay. According to most med you know, medical professionals. So, but then you have diagnostic testing. So basically the screening basically identifies that there could be something there. And from there, you move to a diagnostic test where they say, okay, is it cancer or not? Right? So, so the screening mammography is something that you have to routinely get every year. If the doctor says you every two years say, no, I want it every year. But then once, if you do have a problem, then that's where it often becomes problematic because you may not be able to pay for the screening MRI. I mean, the diagnostic MRI or the diagnostic sonogram. And that's where we kind of maybe lose some people because their insurance will cover the screening mammography. That's usually free. And then you, when you have a problem, oh my goodness, I can't afford the $2,000 MRI to see whether it really is cancer or not. But mammography is our best device right now and you have to do it routinely. Don't miss it. We have so many women that missed it during COVID and haven't had one for two or three years. And I don't even want to think about what breast cancer is going to look like in a year because so many women are getting sick. And we now are seeing more aggressive tumors, more advanced cancers because women did not get their mammogram during COVID. Don't let that stop. Don't let anything stop you from getting your routine mammogram. Is a breast biopsy, is that also diagnostic? Yeah, so you go, you go from a mammogram, a screening mammogram, and then you normally get an MRI or a sonogram or both. And then if, if they identify that there's a lump or, or some, some, something suspicious, then you would get a biopsy. Okay, okay. And that's when they take a little piece of the boob out and test it for cancer. So, so um, you know, that's sort of the process is, is a mammogram, 
then a, then a diagnostic test of, of a sonogram or an MRI, and then a, and then a biopsy. Okay. And we mentioned this already in the first half, but I didn't know if you wanted to say anything more about the genetic testing. Yeah, I wanted to add that, you know, so, so the incidence of breast cancer is one in eight women overall, okay? The, um, but if you have a genetic mutation, it's eight to one that you're going to get breast cancer. The chances are you're eight to one. So if you do have a genetic mutation, you do need to talk about it and know about it and talk to a counselor because there are things you can do to, you know, to be prophylactic like Angelina Jolie. You know, she, she had a, you know, prophylactic mastectomy and she took precautions because she was young and she didn't want to get breast cancer. So you can take an action that could help you not get it. But if you have the mutation, you want to know about it. So you can do that. And you want to communicate it to your friends, I mean, to your family members, to your daughters, to your sons. And, you know, also the genetics can come from both sides of the family, the mom and the dad. So the dad could be a carrier of the gene and maybe not manifest breast cancer, but impact their daughter. Male breast cancer is 1% of breast cancer. So men, you know, they still can get breast cancer. And if they have a genetic mutation, they are more likely to get breast cancer. And that's certainly a fact that we don't often think about. We think of breast yeah. cancer being solely something that women deal with, but men can right. as well. So th that's a good point. I'd like to move on a little bit now in the event that a breast cancer diagnosis is made, help us understand what happens next. Who are the healthcare team members that may be involved with the patient's care? So, you know, many breast cancers get diagnosed by your, your general practitioner, right? Or your GYN, right? You go for your gynae checkup, they do a breast self-exam. So, so it kind of starts there. And then you move to radiologists because you get a, radi you get a, um, a, a mammogram, which is an x-ray, right? And then you may, so the, so the radiologist plays a role in helping diagnose it. And then you get a biopsy by a surgeon. So, so far you've had the, maybe the GI1 and the GP, a radiologist reading your, your x-rays, and then you go to a surgeon to do a biopsy. And then once you're, once you're diagnosed, you have a team of doctors. So there are basically three types of oncologists, right? A radiation oncologist, a surgical oncologist, and a medical oncologist. So the radiation oncologist does radiation and some of the screening stuff. The, the uh, medical oncologist gives you chemo, chemotherapy or, or immunotherapy. And then the surgical oncologist does your surgery. And your surgery could be a lumpectomy. It could be a mastectomy of one breast. It could be a double mastectomy, a bilateral mastectomy of both breasts. And then you often have a plastic surgeon who will do your, your reconstructive surgery. I think also, but one of the most important people on your medical team needs to be a mental health provider, that that should be part of your team. It should be somebody that can help you coach you through this craziness that you're going through. And really another person that you want on your team is a nurse navigator. So your nurse navigator kind of coordinates all the care of all of the doctors that you're seeing and helps you set up appointments, make sure that everything is sequenced properly. So it's really a complicated mess <laughs> So because you do have multiple doctors. And if you don't have, I mean, some medical plans, you have sort of the, the team is provided for you. But oftentimes people will call me and say, okay, so I had my surgery, but now I need an oncologist, a medical oncologist. I'm like, oh my goodness, because the, the, their, their insurance pack practice doesn't give them all the people in one. But 
you're going to see all of these kinds of doctors based on the kind of cancer you have and the level of severity that you have. Um, like I had um, surgery, um, chemotherapy, and radiation, and reconstruction. Wow. The navigation of all of these different physicians can be really difficult. And in fact, I was wondering if you could also talk a, a little bit more about how family members or care partners or spouses or life partners can help to support the individual. You mentioned about the mental health needs, which is so important uh, for a black woman who's diagnosed with breast cancer. Talk more about that, why that the support of, of the family and care partners is, is just absolutely essential. It's critical. You cannot do this alone. And our, one of our mantras for the Triple Negative Foundation is no one fights alone, that we don't want anyone to fight alone. You need, you need a cheerleading squad. You need a support system. And, and, and you should never even go to the doctor alone. And, you know, when you go to the doctor and they basically diagnose you and say you have cancer, once the doctor says the word cancer, that C word, all you hear is like wah, 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 like Charlie Brown noises. You don't even hear anything else. So you need someone to go with you and take notes and write stuff down. And, and even, even when you don't have any, I FaceTime with a lot of patients who don't have anyone to go to the doctor with them. Just have somebody on FaceTime with you to talk about, to listen for you, because you just don't hear everything. And they start saying these big words like, you know, like all of the different drugs you're going to take, carboplatin and gemcibetamine and, you know, all the drugs you're going to take. You don't, you can't even hear that stuff. You can't even spell the words, right? So you need somebody with you to understand what you're going through. And frankly, you need somebody around you. You know, chemotherapy is no joke. Surgery is no joke. You need a, you need your family around you. And I was so blessed. I actually had my group of friends from my whole life came and took care of me. And many of them didn't even know each other. They were from childhood, from college, from high school, from working. And, and, and they also just came together. They knew I wouldn't ask for help. You know, so many of us don't ask for help because we're these badass women that want to do everything for everybody else, right? We won't give into it. And, and so they just showed up. So every Sunday, somebody would come and somebody would leave for a year. They were in my house doing projects. They helped me sell my house. They drove me to chemo. They held my head over the toilet when I was, you know, after not having good days from nausea. So you need support around you. And if you don't have it, you know, that's one of the things my foundation does is we try to help you get, get the help that you need and get the care around you that you need. You can't do it by yourself. It's so important just to keep you sane, you know, just to keep you sane. Well, and to that point, I'm glad you brought up your organization because I, you know, we still have some time yet, but I want to hear more and I know our listeners do as well. Kind of general, the best ways for black women to live beyond breast cancer and then talk about touch the Black Breast Cancer Alliance. Uh, I'd like to hear more about this organization, when when you established it, how you help people, and I know you've mentioned also about clinical trials. So give us an overview of what you're doing and how you're helping, it sounds like on a personal level as well as a professional level. Uh, what, what should folks know about your organization? So I started my foundation because I knew God left me here to do this work and I didn't feel like enough focus was being given to black breast cancer. So I defined it and I started screaming to pharmaceutical companies, we need better drugs. We need better, better science. And so I gave a big presentation a few years ago to a bunch of pharmaceutical companies and said, 
I need you to help us help, you know, help. I need, you need me to help you help us because I knew they needed to understand our breast cancer differently. And so, so we started a big movement to, to advance the science and really get more black women into clinical research. If you look at the drugs that we currently have for standard of care, none of them were tested on black bodies, none of them. And so they're not working, which is why we have this higher mortality rate, you know, one of the biggest reasons. And only even now with the drugs currently being developed, there's only a 3% participation of black women in clinical trials. And really that participation level needs to be commensurate with the burden of disease. So I can't even do that math. I'm not smart enough. But if you think about the, cl- the trials that are being done right now on drugs for triple negative breast cancer should reflect the fact that black women get it at three times the rate of white women. And that's a, those are the numbers that we need in trials. And so we started a movement called When We Trial. And if you go to whenwetrial.org, you can learn all about clinical trials, but from the voice of a black breastie. So we have a lot of video content so black women can go there and see women that look like them and explain the science. I mean, most people don't even know how a clinical trial works and that they think they're going to get the sugar pill and die. And there is no sugar pill in cancer research. You're going to get standard of care. You're going to get a drug that already exists and maybe a new drug on top of that or a new drug altogether. You're not going to be hung out to dry with nothing. And most people don't understand that. They don't understand that that Advil you took last week was in a clinical trial. That, 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 met, that heart medicine you gave your dog was in a clinical trial. Everything was. And so the science is really safe and needs to be trusted. And we need to be a part of it to get the drugs we need for our, our breast cancer. So we're trying to educate black women and we're doing that in a lot of ways. We do a lot of events and a lot of communication. This summer, we were really in the last 24 weeks, we've done 24 events across the country because I want to go where black women live, work, play, pray, and slay to look them in the eye and educate them about clinical trials. And so far, we signed up 5,000 black women for clinical trial portals. Congratulations. In the past. Thank you. So that's, but we have so much more work to do, Cheryl. So, so that's a big part of our work. But we also have a web series. It's on every Wednesday night on the blackdoctor.org Facebook page. We're on Facebook Live, and we do a show called The Doctor Is In. And we have about three to 5,000 viewers every week where we talk to black women like at our kitchen table. And we bring these conversations about breast cancer, really anything and everything about breast cancer. So we, people are talking about it. We want to encourage these conversations. We have a, a young women's initiative where basically we're reaching out to young women so they understand it. We have an HBCU internship program where we go to black colleges and get kids who are pre-med and and pre-nursing to learn about breast cancer and talk about it with their moms and their grandmas and their peers to make these conversations happen at our kitchen tables. And we have a support group on the first Saturday of every month. We have a, a, a support group on Zoom. And, you know, even, you know, there's a difference between being metastatic when you know you're going to be in treatment for the rest of your life and being a survivor and dealing with survivorship, there's implications for both of those things. And so we talk about that with breasties. And at any given moment, on any given day, we could have 30 women on the phone talking about you. I'm mad at my husband today, or this chemo is driving me crazy, or whatever dealing with in your life. And we do that every every first Saturday of the month at 11 o'clock on Zoom. And 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 really, I spend a lot of time on the phone just talking to new new people, new breasties that just got diagnosed helping them understand their treatment. We have an amazing medical advisory board of black women doctors that I go to for help and I refer people to them to help patients understand how to navigate their treatment. 
We also have a nurse navigator on our team who will help you understand your treatment, help talk to your families, help to help them understand clinical trials, help them understand, you know, what they're dealing with. And she's got a great, a great bedside manner. So if you, if you don't feel like you're getting the care you are getting that you have from your doctor, you can talk to our Valerie, who is just an amazing woman that, you know, she's a breasty nurse navigator. So she understands it because she's been through it. So we kind of just try to be everything to everybody. <laughs> I was going to say, I was wondering how large your staff is, but more importantly, could you give some website addresses or so that people, because I'm sure that people are listening, they're wanting to say, so how can I find out more about these this organization and and talk to these resources? So tell us about that. Where Where can they find this information? Sure. So our main website is touch bbca.org touch bbca.org black breast cancer alliance or the bbca and then our, our clinical trial website is whenwetrial.org and on both websites you can sign up to be a part of our newsletter and get information so if you go to and if you go to whenwetrial.org we actually have four portals where you can actually search for clinical trials on the website and then anybody can just email me R-I-C-K-I at touchbbca.org, and I will get you whatever you need. I have a tiny staff, but we all are, we're tiny but mighty, and we get it all done, and we, you know, try to help as many people as we can. But if you just email me, ricky at touchbbca.org, all of our social media is touchbbca on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and, and Twitter. And, you know, we're on social media every day, giving information, talking about the latest drugs, talking about the stuff that we're doing. If you sign up on our website, we will give you information. You can join. We'll put you on our newsletter and um, you can sign up for our movement for clinical trials on whenwetrial.org. And we're just trying to be here for everybody and, and get people what they need. It's a, you know, we have this great club of what we call our untouchables, which is we have 40 breasties from all around the country that basically help us. So when I talk to somebody in Ohio, I can hook you up with a breastie in Ohio and she'll be your buddy. If you're, you know, we have them in, in most states, we have somebody that can be closer to you to help you understand your disease and find resources locally. And in fact, thank you for mentioning that because uh, since this is a podcast, it can go all over the country. And I was just wondering, obviously, I know you're located in Annapolis, Maryland, but uh, it's interesting that there is the possibility. Could a person then who's looking for somebody, say, as you say, in Ohio, could that information be found on your website or can they call up? Will there be a live person then um, if they call or email or what? If they call an email, well, a live person always answers the phone. Um, and it's usually me or my assistant. And, um, and we will get you somebody in where you need to get someone. And we have our medical advisory board is off awesome. They're all over and they have connections everywhere. So if you need a doctor pretty much anywhere, we can find one for you or find some way to, to get, you know, get you help in your area. And our phone number is 443-758. One nine two four, four four three seven five eight one nine two four. But email, text, we answer everything. Any final comments you'd like to make, Ricky? Thank you for letting me talk today. Thank you for this opportunity. And um, I would say the one thing that I learned in my breast cancer journey is that um, I had to not only get rid of the cancer in my body, 
I had to get rid of all the cancers in my life. And if people aren't bringing you joy every day, they need to go. They're cancers in your life. I had to learn that my peace is non-negotiable and so is yours. Don't wait till you have a devastating illness to learn that. Take care of yourself. Check your body. Check your breasts. Talk to your families about disease. You know, know what your risks are from your family history and, and live your best life every day. Wow. Well, I want to thank Ricky Fairley, co-founder and CEO of Touch, the Black Breast Cancer Alliance. And also, Ricky is a triple negative breast cancer survivor. And thank you so much for joining me today, Ricky. That was quite a testimonial that you gave. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And you be blessed. Stay healthy. And thank you, Ricky. And I just wanted to share with our listeners that if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, you'll be able to access all of the Aging Matters radio and TV show content that we have produced over the last uh, many years, almost six years. And of course, now, all of the uh, uh, recent Aging Matters, the last few years, are on Apple and Spotify. So be sure and check out the website to access those programs. Aging Matters is also produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. And you can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Music.